Thank you for listening to Bakersfield Observe, the podcast with Richard Bean. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Centric Healthcare and King Door Company. Welcome to Bakersfield Observed with Richard Bean, a podcast for and about Bakersfield and Kern County. Richard's guests are newsmakers, influencers, and personalities who address topics of interest to you and your neighbors and your community. The discussion is fast, informative, and always civil. Now, here's your host, Richard Bean. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to episode nine of the new Bakersfield Observed podcast, recorded right here at American General Media Offices off California Avenue and Highway 99. This podcast airs weekly, and it will complement the work of the my Bakersfield Observed blog, which has served Kern County for the past 15 years. You can access this podcast via Spotify or wherever you access your podcasts. You can also access it on kernradio.com. The idea behind this podcast is simple. We just want to provide a forum for the Bakersfield community to gather to discuss some of the issues that confront us all. And today, we'll spend our time with talking to Mr. Doc Victor, president of Summit Bible College and a friend of this broadcast. And finally, none of this, of course, would be possible without our sponsors. And I'd like to thank Centric Health of Bakersfield and Dr. Bridge Bombay for becoming our first sponsor of the Bakersfield Observe podcast. So so today we welcome Mr. Doc Victor, who among his many roles in life serves as president, I mentioned, of Summit Bible College here in Bakersfield. I asked Doc to join me because we occasionally like to recognize remarkable people, people who work quietly in this community to make the world a better place. He's not new to this show, having joined us several years ago, and we welcome him back today. Doc, welcome. Thank you so much, Richard. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. It's great having you. Can you hear him okay, JR? Okay. All right. You you want to talk a little bit closer to in in there. Uh, First, Doc, congratulations. It was hit and miss where I was going to get you on, but you you, uh, have uh, something to celebrate today, another grandchild. Yes, we do. The ninth grandchild, a little baby girl. They didn't even name the baby girl. We always named them before they were born. I said, I said to my son, I said, what's her name? He goes, we haven't decided yet. I said, well, okay, can we do this before she's 12? <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, and this is your son, Ben. Yes, Ben. Yeah, the artist. Who is an accomplished sculptor, artist. Mm-hmm. We want to talk about him a while. He, he has done uh, some commission work for some very, uh, uh, very impressive clients, has he not? Yes, he has. In fact, he's coming back here to Bakersfield in September. He's doing a Roadrunner. I don't know if I'm even supposed to announce this or not. Jeez. But he, Go ahead. Just start secret here. I hope I don't, yeah, well, I hope I don't get in trouble for it, but uh, he's doing the Roadrunner for Cal State Bakersfield, and he did do the oil field worker out in Taft. I don't know if you know that. Ten years ago, that was in 2010. They Your had the, son did the did the did the sculpture of the oil field worker? Yes, out there in Taft. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah and actually there's... Uh, Three sculpt. There's three statues out there and a 45 foot derrick in bronze. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's huge. If you haven't been out there, go out and see it. Did he do all of those? Oh yeah, he did all of it. It's a huge project. It was like a two million dollar project. I didn't know that. Yeah. So he's going to do a roadrunner. He's doing a roadrunner for Cal State Bakersfield. That yeah. how big will it be? It's going to be big. <laughs> I don't know exactly. I think it's like 15 feet or something like that. That it's, is awesome. That's pretty big. That's awesome. Yeah. 
Now, I'm going to talk to you a little bit later about your kids. You have such accomplished kids and, and your daughter, Sayla. Yes. Uh, you know, she's been on this show. She's a working actress in Hollywood. How is she doing? She's doing real well. I didn't know she was on this program. She was on this show. Your whole family's been on this show, Doc. You know? <laughs> well, when Ben comes, maybe he could be on the show. We'd love to have Ben. Are you yeah, kidding me? Maybe in September, yeah. Great. Well, th- thanks for joining us. It's been, uh, and congratulations on your, your ninth grand- grandchild. Thank you. Uh, Doc, I was thinking last night about the last time you were here, which was a couple years ago and it it wasn't lost on me how quickly the sands of time pass us here because when you were here last nobody had ever heard of the coronavirus yeah right it's true when you're here last homelessness was not a big issue in this community nobody had heard of george floyd or black lives matter or the woke culture uh, when you were here before, pronouns were assigned at birth. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, you're either a man or a woman, but now apparently you can decide. And, of course, when you were here before, the events of January 6th at the Capitol hasn't happened. So I, 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 I got to start. You are the head of a Bible college. You've done so much more than that, which we're going to get into. But I like to have people like you or who are touchstones, I guess, in my life to kind of help me. I think it's easy for all of us to to get lost in this in this tsunami of change that we're going mm-hmm. through in this world. And I come to you and some of the things I cited about all the different things that have happened, the elections, how we've become a country seemingly at war with each other. I turn to you and I go, Doc Victor, what do you make of all this? Well, one of the things uh, about the Bible college that would tie into this. I want to turn to that because this is this has become my heart and my life. The problems that you mentioned need solutions, and the people that we educate at the Bible college. A lot of people think it's a bunch of pastors that we educate. Mm. We have very few pastors that go through our college. We do have a few every now and then, but most of the people that we are training or equipping, we call it equipping. They're getting trained or equipped to help all the problems you mentioned, the things about homelessness, about identity, all those issues. We, we believe with 100% uh, uh, surety that the values are the problem. People are losing their values of what really is real and what isn't real. And they're, they're, the kids are getting brainwashed in school, too, that way. So every time we have a graduating party or graduating group coming out, what do we have? What's our product? I mean, they've been trying to educate kids in kindergarten all the way up to 12th grade that, hey, you don't know if you're a boy or a girl. Well, you know, you can't do that to children, first of all. Children aren't old enough to make those decisions. They're very uh, gullible or they're very accepting. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, the adults are telling me I might be a girl. Well, of course, right. they're going to get confused. And so the values in our culture are going against what we know what the values that we had when we were kids, you know, going back 50, 60, 70 years. And I'm 72, and uh, so it's a real, it's a very important issue that you're talking about. All these issues, all the confusion that we're having in our country is because of values. And does that mean I'm mean or mad against people that don't believe? No, I'm not mad at anyone, but I really want to instill the values that we were raised with because I know that they're right. And I'm not saying everybody was perfect back then either, mm-hmm. you know, but I'm just saying that uh, children 
should have the right, and I'm an educator. I, I taught school for 25 years, and so I, that's, that's what I've been educated to do. I've, all my degrees are in education, my bachelor's degrees in education, my master's and my doctorate, all in education. So I look at children, I look at the maturation process, and, and you know we have eight children. Mm -hmm. Joyce and I, my wife's been a teacher, my parents mm -hmm. were both teachers, mm -hmm. and you know, a long a, line, of, a teachers, long line yeah. of teachers in our family. And so I look at the maturation pro, uh, process of children, and I realize that we are violating the rights of children. We're trying to manufacture children now. We're, we're doing social engineering down as low as pre, preschool. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, you're not giving them a fair chance. You're not really giving them the chance to be who they really are. And so a lot of people that are coming out of school are disoriented now. I don't know if you know that. that they're really, uh, there's a lot of uh, studies doing, going on now that the children that are out there in the world, not, I don't call them children anymore, now they're 18, Young 19, adults. Young adults. Yeah. They're confused. Mm -hmm. They don't know what, what to do with the society. Oh, is socialism okay? Is communism okay? Mm -hmm. Gosh, uh, I can't get a job. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to work any job. I, I just want to be a movie star. It's like, wait a minute here. They don't have any values. You know, they don't have any realism of you know, work and of ethics and things like that that should have been taught to them. They're open to anything, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, so the things that we do at the Bible College is we're training ministers to help people out right where they're at, the people that are having trouble. You know, some of them are having very severe problems like being on the street or maybe they're addicted to drugs. And then there's others that are even in their adult life that are mature. They have families that have had divorce. They've had families with identity crisis. Uh, mm -hmm. supreme, you know, and so who ministers to them? Who helps them? Well, we have counseling centers that have been birthed because of the college. We have uh, ministries that have been birthed. Uh, we have a ministry, uh, Doug Bennett is very popular. He got Man of the Year Award here in Bakersfield. I think it was 2019, which is almost unheard of. It's a Christian ministry, but he does uh, a ministry to people that have been sex traffic trafficked. Oh. And that's a big issue. People don't realize that, that people are being bought and sold as slaves in our modern society. And where is it? Is it over in Russia, India, and all these other places where a lot of the trafficking is going on? No, it's right here in the United States, too. Mm -hmm. It's worldwide. It's a big industry. Talk to me about the Bible, uh, the Bible College, John. You, you founded it 25 yeah. years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I was surprised when you told me. I mean, I don't know anything about Bible. I assume that you... A Bible college would be training future pastors. You're doing a lot of work, as you said, dealing with values, American, traditional American values. Mm -hmm. Tell me, take, take me through your journey, how you got to, to founding a Bible college. What was, your, what was your original intent there? Well, it's kind of weird because I'm, I was pretty shy, you know, especially if, I, if you go back 25, 30 years ago. I was charismatic as far as the activities I was doing in my life, like I played pro ball and did things like that and sang and at, at clubs and stuff like that. It was kind of fun. But, I, but in my real life, I was very shy. I was a teacher, and I didn't really get out there in the front line very much. I worked within the school, and if they asked me to do something, I'd do something. And I did various jobs when I was in school. But when the college came up, a pastor, a friend of mine at that time, had a college going in town here, and he, and he asked me if I'd help him. And I said, yeah, sure, because I had a degree in uh, curriculum design and administration and things mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. I said, yeah, sure, I'll help you. So I started looking at the curriculum, and I kind of got drawn into the thing, just helping him out. 
And then there was a kind of a problem between me and him because he wanted the money. And I told him, I said, I, I put it up on the internet. Okay, that was the first thing I said. This is back in the 90s, you know. Yeah. And I said, hey, you need to get it on the internet. That's the going thing. And I, and I, did, uh, I did know about uh, uh, web design. And I, I was doing that kind of stuff. And I don't do it now, but I was working with HTML and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff, you know, those languages. And I told him, I said, yeah, I'll make a website for you. I did. I made a website for him, and I had all the, the classes online. And then all of a sudden, I hit a niche. All of a sudden, all these people wanted classes, and they weren't the people that you would think, like pastors. Yeah. They were people, like everyday people. I'm going, hey, what's going on here? So you just kind of bumped into it? Oh, yeah, I bumped into it. And I asked the guy, I said, hey, we need to keep the money at the Bible college. But the pastor wanted to take the money and use it for his ministry to travel and all this. And I said, hey, this college will never make it. Yeah. So I split with them. Okay. And then I was stuck with it. I tried to give it away. Seriously, I tried to give it away. Stuck with well, yeah, I, I tried to give it away to all these other people in ministry. And nobody wanted it. I actually went to them and said, "Hey, this Bible college is online. You can take it, and you can use your staff." And yeah. but none of these the other ministers or ministries were into their church, so to speak. Right. They didn't have time for that kind of stuff, you know. And they they were interested in it, but very casually. And it was it was just birthing, you know. I had like 100, 150 students like overnight. You know, what do wow. I do? Yeah, what do I do with all these people? And what were people looking for? They were. That was the interesting thing. I didn't realize I hit a a yeah, vein there, right. you know. That people were looking for some way to get equipped or trained to minister to people. Like, in other words, the homeless or whatever was going on at the time. And, mm. and so I designed classes for those specific reasons. That's why our classes really aren't... We do have classes for pastors if they want to study theology, but most of our, our majors are in... Uh, we have a major in Christian business. We have a major in Christian counseling. We have a major in Christian coaching. We certify mm -hmm. them and, and license them. We have a major in chaplaincy. We have all these practical majors. We have a major in Christian education. Hmm. And so they can get equipped. Like if you wanted to teach at a Christian school, right. you can get our degree and go into a Christian school. You can't do it if you want to go to a secular school. Right. Because you need to be certified like I was. I was certified with, through Cal State Bakersfield here in town. And I got my uh, teaching credential at, uh, at San Diego State. You know, I did all my, my coursework in state colleges. Right. So I'm qualified to teach at any state-run school. Right. So we don't have that, but we do have all these other majors and, and uh, to help you in business, to help you in So what percentage do you think of your graduates every year actually go into become a pastor as opposed to using... Oh, very small. Very one small. Or, one or two percent, maybe. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, most of them are just people like you and I. Hmm. So yeah. it, this was 25 years ago. You tried to give it away. You kind of backed into it. You had this explosive growth. You, were, you, you knew you had tapped into something. Yep. Some kind of need was there. It was expressing itself through enrollment via, uh, via, via the Summit Bible College. At what point did you say, I'm on to something. This could be a good thing. I'm going to keep it. I'm committed for the long run. Well... One of the guys we had teaching marriage counseling in town here, uh, his name was uh, Cross, Pastor Cross over at uh, Laurel Glen. He was teaching marriage counseling because that's what his ministry was. He did a lot of marriage counseling. Mm -hmm. And he said, man, he said, you guys have made it. And I said, well, not financially, because there wasn't a lot of money in it. The mm -hmm. prices were very low. We've stayed in business uh, with reasonable prices where they're paid off 
and they usually get their degree in about a year and a half mm -hmm. or so, you know. So it's not like a real expensive. And so I don't, I don't make a salary. I've never taken a salary. You've never taken a salary? No, I don't take a salary. I just do it for volunteer. It's the funniest thing. It's, it's the craziest thing. I, I, I was a financial advisor at one time for Merrill Lynch and some I'm other I'm glad companies. I didn't take advice from you because my first advice yes. is pay yourself a salary. <laughs> yeah. No, no I, I made money in, you know, by just investing in the market. And I have a retirement fund through that mm -hmm. and my wife makes money she mm -hmm. she makes pretty good money she worked for cal state bakersfield and she's a teacher mentor you know or, mm -hmm. or supervisor mm -hmm. where they have to be approved in their internship yeah. and so she makes good money too and we don't really have a lot of uh, expenses that right. way we learned how to live really inexpensively because we had eight children we have no debts we don't we don't uh well, let's let's talk if, if yeah. you don't mind. Let's talk yeah. about Joyce, your wife, who, yeah. who I've met, yeah. who is wonderful. Yeah, she's amazing. Oh, she's yeah. incredible, <laughs> and you got these eight really accomplished kids. How did you guys meet, you and Joyce? It was weird. My parents, like I said, were teachers. My dad uh, was the head of the bilingual program. He's he's uh, Hispanic or Mexican, you know, and uh, he was the head of the bilingual program in El Monte, and he, and, I, and I was in a. It's weird because I was a pro athlete and everything, and I, I played a Division One basketball. And I came home one year, and I was in depression, you know, because I had just, you know, you live an exciting life, and then when the season's over, everything just kind of yeah, falls out. Right. You know, like I was empty, and I, I, I graduated college and all that. And my parents were looking at me as kind of a lost soul. I was sitting back. I, I, I slept out in the back studio, the art studio. My, my mom was, uh, is an artist, and she, uh, you know, has been a teacher. And I, and I was just in that room, and, and uh, they couldn't get me out of that room. You know, so I just didn't have any motivation to do anything. I was looking to maybe get on a pro contract or something like that. But my dad and mom were conniving for me to meet a girl because they knew if I met a girl, that would help me. So my dad takes me. He has, he's, he's the head of the bilingual program. Yeah. He's got all these women teachers that are working for him. He <laughs> says, I got three women I want you to meet. He goes, one is a, a brunette. Another one's a blonde, another one has black hair, you know, and uh, I said, okay, this, this is pretty cool. Okay, I'll go meet these girls. <laughs> so, so I go with my dad, and we drive across town. We're living in the west side of uh, Los Angeles, and we go to El Monte, and I go to the first girl, and it's a kindergarten teacher. And he says, I'll watch her class for you, and I'll have her come outside and, uh, you know, meet in the uh, wow. the personal introduction yeah in the playground area mm -hmm. and I, I meet uh, the first gal and her name's Joyce you know and we hit it off pretty well you know I thought gosh that's a I like that girl you know we get back in the car my dad said okay let's go let's go meet the blonde now and then we'll meet the, the black haired girl you know he tells me their name I don't really remember their names and I said, no. I said, I, I want to I meet that girl. I want to go out with that girl. Really? The first I, one? You knew? Okay, yes. I knew. And I never did meet those other two women. Really? Yeah. And then Joyce and I went out that night. It was funny how that's... Can I tell you that story? Sure. Oh, this is amazing. It's kind of romantic in that, you know, she gives me the thing. I call her on the phone, you know, because I got her number that night and I'm, I'm kind of an impetuous type you know i'll just do it right there you know and so i i want to take her out that night she goes well i can't tonight i'm doing my hair i said I'll tell you what i live in west los angeles it takes me 30 minutes to, she lived in monterey park mm -hmm. at that time it takes me 30 minutes to get over there get your hair ready because i'm coming right now okay i'll see you bye click <laughs> the presumptive close <laughs> i know i went over there and she meant i thought either she's gonna say no get out of here 
She, her hair was done. She was ready to go. She goes, okay, I'm ready. Aww. And we went out to uh, a place called Cabin Inn, and we had wine coolers. I'll never forget that. And we talked all night long. Aww. It was one of those kind of a dates. And that was it. Oh, gosh. It, I was hooked. And then, ironically, this is another part of that romance, she wouldn't go out with me the second night. Why? She didn't want to be too easy. She told me later. Uh, so she was playing a game with me. You know, well, I wasn't the type to play games with. I had another gal in town. So I went out with the other gal. And I started getting romantic with that gal. You know, you know how it is. I already yeah. had something going with that gal. And I said to her, you know what? I feel really strange. I said, I can't do this. There's this gal. And I got to go back and I got to see. So I never did anything with her. I just... Didn't do anything that night, and then the next night we we've been dating ever since. This, that was it. That was since 1972. December 1st is when I met her. Okay, took her out that first night. You had the one date. We had the one date. Met, did not go out with yeah. her December 2nd. December 3rd, 1972, till today. I've That's been it. dating her. Well done. <laughs> I'm telling you. You talked 49 about years later. Here we are. Congratulations. <laughs> so you were you were a kid then. What were you? Oh yeah. Yeah. That was twenty. Uh, that was that was twenty three. Now yeah. you've alluded to your. You had a professional. You were a professional athlete. Yes. And you have uh, an interesting story about living in Mexico and being an illegal immigrant. Yes. Down there. Is this pre Joyce? Uh, well, yeah, it was pre-Joyce, because mm. in 1972, we, oh, we, okay. we got uh, married in 73. In 72 of September is when I went. In fact, it was about probably, they do a preseason. They're probably August. I went to preseason training in Monterey, Mexico. And uh, What were you doing in Mexico? I was right. playing basketball. Okay. All right. Yeah, they, All right. they got me down there to play basketball. Okay. I was four, and I played as an illegal immigrant because my step, I won't use my stepdad's name. I had an afro and had a mustache and... <laughs> I spoke Spanish anyway, mm-hmm. and so and there, even though I have red hair, I had dark auburn hair. You mm-hmm. know, it was kind of brownish red, and had freckles. There are people in southern Mexico that have different complexions, mm-hmm. even blondes. Mm-hmm. You know, so I was accepted down there, and uh, I played on the team. But then I uh, I came back, you know, and uh, I married Joyce, and I, I met Joyce, and uh, and married her. You know, and and it just. You know, it all took off from there. But uh, then, what was the question again? If we were talking about the pro ball, or well, yeah, how did you get involved in a pro ball, and how long did you play? Because I think you said you played. Did you played with the Mexican team at the Pan American Games? Yeah, that was in '79. That's a lot later. Yeah, '72. I started. I got very sick, very very sick, deathly sick. I lost a lot of weight. What happened to me, Richard, in the off season? It was weird. Basketball would keep me. In check. In other words, during the season, I was clean. I would not smoke or drink. And mm-hmm. the off season was another story. I'd go crazy. I'd go mm-hmm. drinking, and mm-hmm. I, I was a party type guy there, you know. Mm-hmm. And and all those years I'd done it through college caught up to me. Yeah. And then I got very very sick, and I had a hyperactive thyroid. Lost a lot of weight. I lost. I got down to 150 pounds. My heartbeat was. Re- You're yeah, like six five. Yeah, I'm six three. Yeah. Six three. Yeah. 150 pounds. Yeah, I was Ooh. really thin. You know, yeah. I was scared. I thought I was going to die. And I had a, a supernatural encounter. God actually healed me. It was the weirdest thing. Uh, well, talk to me about that. Yeah, what happened is I went to Kaiser Permanente uh, for the medical check, and they said your thyroxin's too high. The, the, the thyroid puts out thyroxin way off the charts. They said I, they didn't understand how I could even walk, you know, because my hands would shake and everything, and I had, my eyes were bugging out. And it, that's what happens when you have a high, hyperactive thyroid and you're a drinker. You'll get a your eyes will actually start to bug out. They'll mm. they'll they'll pop out, you know. 
Anyway, I was like that and everything, and I went into the uh, office, and he said, uh, take this radioactive iodine. It was an experimental drug at that time. I think they still use it today, radioactive iodine. Mm -hmm. I took the drug, and it just totally flipped me out. I was even worse, not better, you know, and uh, was laying around for a long time, and I, I wasn't religious at all, very secular. Mm -hmm. I didn't, uh, I was born to a Jewish family, but we were Reformed Jews, and uh, Reformed Jews are very mildly committed you know it's more of a cultural thing yeah. than, than anything else did when, when you were a child did your family celebrate hanukkah and yeah but the, it wasn't the holy day or yeah not really like that though okay. like sometimes we'd go to shul or synagogue but very rarely you know we were yeah. thin that way you know right. we so we were more culturally jewish yes. than Yes. religiously yeah i knew about the orthodox and i was around kids that were more conservative there's conservative jews and we i went to a high school that was they had a lot of jewish kids mm -hmm. uh, i went to hamilton high school in los angeles and uh you know i knew about them and some of them were committed to god but not really our family and i wasn't mm -hmm. i you know god was it just wasn't part of your mm -mm. youth no Interesting. not really no i was into sports and just uh you know, that was my major thing there. And Had, we, did you have any exposure as a child to to uh, other Christian beliefs, to Catholicism? No, or, no. no not okay. like that at all. In fact, I did not know anything about any of it. You know, I just, you know, I mean, I knew I knew who they were. But when you're Jewish, uh, your, your view of them, you know, and all Gentile people, Per se is kind of uh, haughty. <laughs> I don't. I don't mean to say it that way because I love everybody. But, but, uh, and I don't want them to get the wrong idea about Jews. Uh, they're not really prejudiced, but they know that they're. They really aren't prejudiced at all. That they're that social consciousness is really high with Jews, mm -hmm. you know. But they know that they've been pulled out and they're different and that they're even hated, you know, for who yeah, they are. Right. They're very intelligent too. My family's very intelligent, and uh, the extended family is. They have got a lot of gifts. That doesn't mean they're holy, though. You know, right. there's a lot of issues too inside there. You know what I mean? Right. People have problems no matter who they are. So it's a, it's kind of a weird position to be Do in. Do you think you ever missed out not being if if your family was from? is this the right word, more progressive or liberal Jewish family? Do you think you missed out not being from a more conservative Jewish family with more conservative beliefs? Or, or Well, God, it's kind of different because I kind of feel blessed that I wasn't. What happened is they took me through the uh, bar mitzvah ceremonies. As you know, all the young boys have to go bar mitzvah and the girls are bat mitzvah, which is you have to memorize prayers, lengthy prayers. I still know them, actually. Mm. You know, Baruch Atah, Anoy Elhen, and Melech HaOlamas, you know, Sher Kedishanah, B'Mitzvah Tov, Fitzivana, Lehlik, Ne'er, Shel, Shabbat. I just said a prayer, you know, just like that. Yeah. Because it's all ingrained in your brain, right. and you have to memorize these long processes, you know. But what happened to me during that time, I was 13, you know, when you become Bar Mitzvah, is supposed to becoming a man, you know. I quit on it. I, I was the kind of kid that would ditch. I would ditch even the, uh, I would run away, you know, and... Uh, my mom finally gave up on me at that teenage years. I was starting to try to be who I was, and I didn't want all that stuff because I thought it was so rigid and so uh, so controlling. I didn't see the value of it, you know. And uh, 
I just want to be an American. I just want to live my life. Yeah, you know, right. that, that was that kind of thing. I had a, that kind of an attitude. But I, when I looked at my people, my evaluation of them was the gifted part. They were brilliant people, even people in our family, just like brilliant people. I didn't think of myself as that, and I wasn't a good student when I was in high school. Did you self-identify as being a Jew? Yes, there's no question. You could, I couldn't run from that okay. because right. it was so evident, you know. <laughs> there's a, there was at that time not so much today, I don't think, but back then there was a lot of prejudice even against Jews, and you heard things, you know, you know, and uh, and I was born in 1949. I was a, a baby boomer right after World War II, so you know the the, the Nazi thing, you know, and, yeah, the, and the anti-Semitism right. was high. Anti-Semitism is raising up again today. Yeah. You know, they're blaming the Jews for all kinds of things, and so. It's kind of weird, you know, some of the things you read off to are strange things that are happening. Like, there's Jewish people that hate Israel now. That would never have happened yeah, when I was a kid. Right. They were so supportive of Israel, but they think that they actually are mean to the Hamas, which, you know, are occupying that little strip right mm -hmm. by Israel. But when Joyce and I were in Israel two years ago, we left and they got bombed 1,500 times. Mm -hmm. Right. Israel got bombed right. 1,500 times. What do you do if your neighbor is bombing you 1,500 times? You've got, you've got to bomb them yeah, back, you, you know? protect yourself. you got yeah. to protect yourself. So right. it's kind of strange to hear Jews saying that Israel is bad. Yeah. I, I, they obviously haven't been over to Israel. There's a lot of Arab people living in Israel. There's a lot of Muslims living in Israel. Israel is open to all groups. It's not like what they think. But what do you do when you're bombed by your neighbors? Right. You know, if, if we were bombed by Canada right now, right. what would we do? Yeah. Would we say, we're wrong? <laughs> no, we would say, hey, stop bombing us. Right. You know? So take me back there. So here you're raised yeah. a, a Jewish kid, yeah. not particularly religious. You're, you're playing ball. You get sick. You had this moment. Talk to me about, tell, tell me about that moment. Yeah, so what happened is uh, I didn't know about religion and uh, really sick. And I was thinking to God, as uh, you know, then I got, God got my attention. I said, hey, have mercy on me. Help me, you know. I was starting to cry out to God. And I, I really sensed that God said, why? And that really bothered me. You know, like, why should I? Hmm. And, you know, he was right. When I heard that voice inside of me... It How was, did that come to you? It just came to me like... I didn't hear an audible voice, but yeah. it came like an answer back. I could sense like he was saying back to me, why? Why should I help you? And I kind of said, you're right. Why should you? I ruined my life. I was doing all the wrong things, drinking, and I had a lot of problems, a lot of issues, you know. And it gets me emotional to even talk about, you know, to bring back those days. But then, you know... It was like I was, I was so helpless, I just said, I don't know why. And then he had mercy on me. And I was driving with my wife in the car. I couldn't see, by the way. I wear glasses today, but only for reading. You know, I can, I can see everything clear. I can read on the board there. But uh, back then, I couldn't see. I literally could not see a sign on the roadway. I couldn't drive. I, my eyes were too blurry. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I was a young person. I was not old. I was only 23, 24 years old. And, and you were sick. Yeah, I was very sick. Yeah. And uh, my heart was beating real fast. And uh, I would sweat profusely. My hands were shaking. And uh, my wife and I were coming back from uh, somewhere up north. And I'm trying to make the this sh this story shorter, not to tell you all the details. But uh, 
I turned, what happened to me, Richard, I was in the car, we're in a Chevy Vega, she's driving, not me, and I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, like out of the sky above my head, above the car, I felt this wave come in, it's unbeknownst to her, she's just driving her car, you know, down the, down the freeway, down the Pacific Coast Highway, or Highway 101 or whatever it was, down the highway from Seaside, California, back to LA where we lived, we lived in Santa Monica at that time, and a wave hit me, it hit the top of my head very slowly, drew right through my my uh, my head, then through my neck, through my shoulders, my my midsection, all the way down through my feet, and I went, whew, I'm healed. Everything in my body was perfect. I could hold my you hand. You knew it at that it, moment. Mm -hmm. it, it, immediately, my hands were steady. I I my hands. I could hold my hand out. I stopped sweating because I was sweating profusely. My heart calm back down. I was normal. I turned to my wife. I said, God just healed me. I wasn't even religious. Well, how, how, did you know, how did you know that was God's hand or the fever broke? Because I was sitting there looking like a, a vegetable, looking straight ahead in the car. I mean, just sitting there. Wow. And she's driving and, and I have nothing on my mind. And I don't think there was any music on the radio. And we be, we act, I didn't tell you this part of the story. She actually took me to a, a gathering to help me, you know, mm -hmm. and it did no good. And there was no effect. And I know why God didn't do anything to me there because I don't think, I think I would have credited what, at that it. event. Right. He, didn't want to, he didn't want me to be crediting the wrong thing. I wouldn't have known anything, you know, what was going on. But, uh, and they were, it was not that kind of a group, you know, it wasn't a great group. But, but anyway, we're driving back in the car, and I just turned to her and I said, Joyce, God just healed me. And she was skeptical at first. She goes, oh, it must have been the medicine. I said, no, it wasn't the medicine. I knew it wasn't the medicine because the medicine was driving me crazy, like in my yeah. head, yeah. you know. And then this thing came from above me in like a wave, a real slow wave. Like I was sitting there going, my eyes were like, you know, like I'm going, wow, I'm expanding my eyes. I go, what is going on here? And I just waited till it happened and it was full and it was done. And then, then there was a presence inside my tummy, my stomach. There was a presence like a glow. Hmm. And I was just sitting there and I was thinking, gosh, whoa, man, that feels so good. It was the best feeling that I'd ever had since, I was, since before all this happened or since I, since I ever knew. And I told Doc, her. Doc, you're 22 years old. Yeah. You're sick. You're yeah. a young married man. Yeah. You're an athlete. Yeah. Uh, you're not particularly re religious being born into the Jewish faith. Mm -hmm. This happens to you. Did you have any doubt that this was anything less than what you're describing, that you're being saved? And, and how, did, how, did, how did you square that up with being born a Jew? Yeah, well, that was the thing. I didn't become a Christian because of this event either. Okay. It had nothing to do with Christianity. Okay. It was, but I, God got my attention. Okay. It was like, wow, you know. It was, it was a time, and I said it was must have been at least, I would think, a week maybe. Before I said that other thing, I would you help me? And he said, why? Mm. You know. And then, unbeknownst to me, that help happened, and then, then it got my attention. Then I said. This thing about God is real. There is a God. Yeah. You know, there's something outside of this realm. And so then I was, I was kind of uh, relieved, but then I was kind of worried too because I was thinking, gee, man, I don't know anything about God. Hmm. You know, I did go to Centenary College in Shreveport, Louisiana. It was Division One at that time. Mm -hmm. I played Division One basketball against the big powers, you know, mm -hmm. all that. Teams like Tennessee and Hawaii, I was really 
I want people to know that I was a A1 athlete. I wasn't just some kind of a yeah. average player, you know. Yeah. And uh, anyway, here this happens to me, you know. And uh, in Centenary, Centenary was uh, under the Southern Methodist University, SMU in okay. Dallas, is uh-huh. part of their group. Centenary is actually older. It's the oldest college uh-huh. west of the, the Mississippi. Really? It's like uh-huh. 1858 or something like Shreveport? that. Shreveport? Yeah, it's in Shreveport, okay. Louisiana, uh-huh. just west of the Mississippi River. Uh-huh. Anyway, uh, the, the reason I mentioned that is they had a requirement there, and I was Jewish, and it's still on my transcripts. Uh, they wanted me to take a New Testament. They had, you had to take Old Testament and New Testament, even if you were a regular student. I, my major was education. It had nothing to do with religion. And I protested it, Richard. I said, I shouldn't have to take New Testament because I'm Jewish. I said, we don't believe in that. And uh, I didn't take it. I never did take New Testament. But the strangest thing, I had these things happen to me about God, it was so strange. I took the class and I had to read the Old Testament. I said, "Okay, I'll read the Old Testament. It's the Jewish Bible, you know." And I did. I read the Jewish Bible, and the, in fact, the Bible that I read was actually a, 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 a Bible that the, that we use in the in the uh, synagogues, you know. And I never read it, and I actually read through. The, it was the assignment to read through that whole Bible, and I did. It's a long too. The Old Testament is long. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of books, and it's some of it's dry and boring, mm-hmm. you know. Like the book of Numbers, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, and so-and-so. And I'm reading this. <laughs> J.R. shaking his head. He knows what you're talking about, yeah. the book of Numbers. <laughs> and so, yeah, and so I went into the library to, to read it alone because that was the only place quiet. You know, you couldn't do it in the dorms because it was crazy, you know. And, and so I'd go into the library room and quiet. And it's so weird. I'd open the book. I'm talking about the Bible. And it was like weird. I opened the book, and like this presence came into the room. And I went, what is going on? I'd shut the book, and that presence would go away of God. I had to read the Bible, so I'd go in there and read the Bible, and it was like weird. I, I am Jewish. I'm reading the Jewish scriptures, and it was like, like God was trying to tell me something even then, but I couldn't receive it. I, I just didn't. And then I went about my life. I went out and did uh, played basketball, yeah. and then in the offseason I got drunk, you know, or whatever right. I did. right. And I forgot all about it. And so, you know, I had weird events happen to me like that, you know, certain events in my life. And so I knew that, you know, like something's going on here. Somebody was reaching out to you. There there were signals coming out. When you were talking to your, was your wife, was Joyce religious at this point? Well, actually, she was was raised Catholic. She went to Mission High in in Los Angeles. And a Catholic and a Jew and now a Catholic, you know. But her mother was Jewish. Joyce's mother was Jewish, ironically. Ah, But she was raised Catholic. Her mother became Catholic. And uh, Joyce went to uh, L.A. Mission High School at that time, was run by nuns, and it was all girls' school. Mm-hmm. So she was really that a real straight Catholic, but she had fallen away too. Both of us had mm-hmm. had uh, different lives. We weren't people that were holy or Christians or anything like that. We so when you're bringing, you're saying, "Look, something's happening here." Yeah, she's looking at you like either. I love this man, and he's telling me the truth. Or I married a wacko. He's like having some yes. kind of crazy out of body experience. What was she yes. telling you? Yes, you know? exactly. <laughs> I said, "Look at my hand." I said, "I couldn't even hold my hand still." And look at my—I'm not sweating anymore. I stopped sweating, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I literally was, you know. And I asked the doctor that too. I said, "He said I don't know how in the heck you even can can walk in his room." Mm-hmm. He, I said, "Could it be that I'm an ex-athlete?" He said, "That's got to be it." 
He said, your heart cannot take that many beats per minute. My, my, heart, be, my heart rate resting was 150 beats per minute. Oh. It was like boom, 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 boom. Like a hummingbird. Yeah, and I kept losing weight. I, I, couldn't, uh, you know, I couldn't even walk across the room. I'd lose yeah. weight. You know? yeah. And I was losing weight so fast that I, I stopped weighing myself. The last time I weighed myself was 150 pounds. Uh, and it was getting six, sick. 6'3 and 150. Yeah, and I looked at myself in the, in the mirror and I was like, oh gosh. I don't think I'm going to make it through this one. Yeah. That's why I was panicking, you know, okay. at that time. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, so God rescued me with that healing. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't know how many people actually believe it, but that's what happened to me. What is it, so let's move on down the, 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 uh, the timeline. You have children. You eventually end up having eight children. Yeah. You have gone through this conversion yeah. Your wife is going through her, you know, raised a Catholic and now kind of fallen out. You're all looking for spiritual touchstones and guidance. Did you guys in in co-parenting, did you did you have a conversation with your wife like this is how we're going to raise these children and these uh, under in, in this kind of religious no. setting or no, anything or did it all. just evolve? How, how no, does no. something like that happen? Okay, Simeon was born 75. Okay. I got healed in 73. That incident that happened was 73. I remember certain dates like that. And uh, then we had Zach, our second son, Zachariah. Zach was born in 77. We had a child born every other year. Okay, I did not know anything about Jesus or Christianity or anything until 79. And what happened to me was kind of weird. I started playing in the pro basketball league in Los Angeles, and the kid that was our trainer, who wasn't our trainer, was a trainer for all the people, was a guy named Jay Nixon. If Jay's still out there, I don't, you know, if he's ever going to hear this broadcast, I'd like to talk to him. Oh, gosh, it gets me emotional. But uh, he witnessed to me, and he was bugging me about reading the New Testament. And I'm a professional basketball player. I'm in a league I'm in the Harbor Basketball League, and I'm, t I'm telling him, I said, hey, look, i got to play a basketball game. Can I just play the basketball game? He goes, man, you got to read this. He, he, for some Why, reason. Was it just you, or was he like that? It was that? just me. So he saw something in he you. He was targeting or, or me. Or somebody told him to target you, or there was something. It had to be God, the Holy Spirit, tell him, because he didn't even know me. I didn't talk to him about God. He was bugging me. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll tell you what, I will promise you, I will read this. He gave me a little black New Testament. I said, I will read the New Testament if you'll leave me alone. I actually said that to the kid. I insulted the kid. <laughs> you know. And then, then this, this, the, 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 the summer league was over. It's a summer league there. They, I don't know if they still have it. They have a pro summer league in those days. And uh, I actually did read the New Testament. Wow. You know, and I said, I'm going to read this thing because I promised that kid I'd read it. And, I and was, what was that experience like? It was unbelievable because, first of all, I did have a historical knowledge of Judaism. And I was, a, I, I was, I was more of a linguist and a historian. You know, I even got a degree in linguistics when I went to San Diego State. I, got, I took the linguistics classes. I, I was an English major there, but I took linguistics because I, I, wanted, I, I was just fascinated about languages, you know. There's nobody that would write a book like that and say those things unless it was true on a linguistic level. You don't say those things. You'll be killed for those things in Judaism. They would kill you. Yeah. And they did kill them. Yeah. You know? And they would kill anybody else too. They'd kill the followers. Yeah. Because it's so abusive to Jews to hear that God can be born into a man. They, they do exalt God. They look at God as a powerful being out 
you know, out in the universe somewhere. Mm -hmm. And to say that he could come down as a man and be born to a virgin would be totally insulting. Yeah, right. uh, and so I could see it historically like, well, he's born into this time. The Romans are occupying Israel. It's a perfect time to be born there because, first of all, if he did those things and the Romans weren't there, it would have been a totally different thing. I mean, it would have been, a, it would have been uh, I don't know, it might have been the end of the world, so to speak, but uh, as far as Judaism is concerned. Uh, but the Romans were controlling the environment, you know, and so the whole historical process of him going and starting this ministry at age 30 years old and then have to be killed for it, and then have the Romans kill him. It's illegal, by, by the way, in Judaism to murder someone like that. You cannot mm -hmm. murder someone like that. Mm -hmm. Even if they agreed to it, it's not really legal in Judaism. Right. So who killed Jesus? Was it the Jews? No. It was the Romans. Was it the Romans? No, it was also the Jews. Yeah. So what God was saying in that sacrifice is everyone killed him. You know? mm -hmm. And uh, you know, symbolically speaking. And so for me to read this as a Jew... And then I went back to my relatives and I tried to... Were you to still identifying as a Jew when, yes. he, when he said, read the New Testament? Yes. There? Okay. And even then I didn't receive Jesus as the Messiah for me personally. I just recognized like this was, this had to be God hmm. to, to have all this happen, you know. And if you read it with an open mind like that, which I was doing, I didn't, you know, I wasn't going to convert to Christianity. There's no one else around to talk to me about uh, doing that. I didn't know how to do it. Yeah. I didn't even know, understand that part of it. Mm. But when I went to talk to my relatives, I was immediately condemned. And then I thought, wow, this is spiritual. This is huge. They don't even, they're not I'm even. I'm glad you brought that because I was going to ask you, how did your family, even, even if they weren't Orthodox? They totally, totally did not want to talk to me. I went to my, uh, really his cousin, but I, we used to call him uncle because he was so much older. He's still living today. He's a lawyer down in San Diego. And he's in his late 80s, probably now, early 90s, maybe. And uh, longevity's in our family. Everybody lives in 90. But uh, I went down to talk to him. He's very wealthy. La Jolla is where he lives. Mm -hmm. Very good man in a lot of ways. As soon as I told him about what I discovered in the New Testament, how Jewish it was, he immediately kicked me out of the house. He said, never say that name in this house again. Never say that what? Name, that name. The name. Jesus. Never say the name Jesus again in this yeah. house? Yes. I said the name of Jesus, and he and he kicked me out of his house. And since then, I've really not had much of a relationship with him. Uh -huh. He kind of tried to apologize to me, you know, because we're older now. I'm 72, yeah. and he's probably maybe 90, yeah. you know. And I went to his wedding, you know, and uh, he married my cousin. But... Uh, you know, How even, do you impart these lessons? You, you raise eight children. Mm -hmm. Tell me how, and so eight children, you said one every other year. So 16, I mean, there's a good span of time. Mm -hmm. uh, did you raise your children spiritually in different ways depending on yes. when they were born? Yes, Talk sir. Talk to me about That's that. a good question. Yeah. The first two sons, Simeon and Zechariah, were born... And those are Hebrew names. I call them Hebrew names on purpose because I still identified as a Jew, not as a Christian. Mm -hmm. They were born when I was not a Christian. And then the third one, Benjamin, who's the sculptor, was born when I received Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is the same year, 1979. Wow. And Ben might have been a little boy then too. Might have been. Uh, I I don't have a good memory of time that way because I'm coming out of drinking and drugs. Yeah. And my mind was not real good then, you know, like that. I was smart, but I 
I mean, I could function. I was even teaching school, but I was not uh, real cognizant. You was know. Ben, ben was number three? Yes. Number three. Are your first two boys, do they identify as Jewish? No. Uh, mm-hmm. The first one received the fact of the gospel being true. He definitely knows that Jesus is the Christ and Messiah. Whether he's really committed that much or not, I think he... You know, I think that if he were to die today, that God would recognize him as someone who believed in the Messiah, and he would be welcome. You know, and all that. And I, I believe that is, uh, you know, that's part of my faith that uh, that you need to receive Jesus to get into heaven because he's the he's the propitiation of our sins. In other words, he's the covering of our sins. Mm-hmm. You know, he's the sacrifice for our sins. So, yeah. the second one is he's he went to become an Orthodox Jew. Oh. At one time, and not is not today. He's kind of in La La Land. He's in a place where he looks at the. He's very intelligent. He's a concert pianist, and he's very yes, very gifted man. He graduated from Yale, Yale and uh, do very, you have conversations with him about this, about spirituality and this type yes, of thing, but, or is this something but that... mild, real mild with him? I uh, I just talk to him normally, like I did when he was a kid. And when things come up, if it involves scripture or something like that, I just mention the scripture that it involves, but I don't go out of my way to hammer him with the Bible yeah. because I don't think he would receive it. He, ironically, he knows the Bible. He's, he's got a photographic memory. He, he remembers uh, long pieces on the piano. You know, the, the, uh, he, he plays uh, uh, classical. He can play anything, though. He can play any type of music you want mm-hmm. by ear, too. You can say a tune, he knows it, you know, he knows the whole song, you know. But, uh, so it's not a, not as if he doesn't know the gospel story. He knows it by heart. He knows a lot of the scriptures, too, by memory. And uh, he'll even quote them back to you. But he's kind of in a, it's kind of like our culture. They're, they've been hit with so much information that they're trying to process all the information and fit it together without a commitment to anything. You know, and or the commitment is to be non-committed or just to be kind of cool in all this information that yeah, they know. Right. But to me, it's, it's I think that God is very, uh, very direct and very. I think there is a plan. It's just that He's in the background in a loving way. People think it, He's there in a mean way. I don't think so yeah. in a mean way. Yeah. I think He's there in a loving way, wanting us to make our own judgments and come to the truth, to see that. But it's hard for people. They've got so well, much information. Now, I mean, look, you and I are uh, similar. I'm 70. And yeah, I'm 72. We, that it's such a different... I'm sure you must appreciate the different world that our children are growing up in. Yeah. And I, I, I find it difficult to put myself there to, to understand how, or even project how I might react to that. So when you and your wife, Joyce, are navigating this parenting field with all the changes that you guys have been through, substantial changes, which have led to where you are now, you know, you've got these kids going through a really, I would argue, more difficult process just because some of the issues that we talked about earlier. Yes, sir. Do do they come to you as they would a rabbi, so to speak? Yes, they do. Say, you know, dad, what, you know, I'm confused. Yes, they do. And I I try to be positive with every one of them in in a good way. And talk about the love that's there and the support and all the good things, even though there's stuff that happens to them, you know, it's not perfect. Uh, one of the things that I could mention, too, that uh, that's on to your point is this, is that Joyce and I grew up, as you did, 
before the huge information age, before the computer. Mm-hmm. Well, when Joyce, I, see, I was programming right away. The reason I started programming, I said, an early from, adopter. Yeah. yeah, I was in my 40s, but the thing, the reason why I was into it is because I had disabilities when I was younger about confusion. Like when I'd write, things would be out of order. Even when I read, it was I was a very slow reader. Not today, but back then I was. And I thought, this is a solution. This machine, when when I write, I can move things. I could copy and paste. And I, I thought, man, I'm going to learn this. I was going to become a programmer. And two of our sons are programmers. That mm. The two that I told you about that uh, play piano, are that's what they do. They do these high-level programs now. The, the one that does concert pian, pianist and Zeke. Uh, a lot of people in town know Zeke from jazz piano. He's a very good jazz pianist. That's our youngest son. Mm. Yeah, and he's he's got a couple albums out. But... Uh, but uh, what happened in the information age, as we were growing older, Joyce resisted it. She said, I don't want to know anything about the computer. I don't know anything about it. It scares me. I don't want to be part of it. I go, no, honey, we need to learn how to email. It's very good. So I taught her that. Then she didn't want a phone. She wants a cell phone. I go, honey, you need to learn a cell phone. That's the thing. You need to, get, you need to be into the, uh, the uh, technology side of things. You know, I see you've got a, a MacBook here mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, iPad, I mean, but uh, these things are really necessary in this culture today. These yeah. kids are on a different level. Yeah, you know, Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook. I mean, they got so many venues, and new things are being invented all the time. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a growing thing. So, our culture is completely different from what we were raised in. You know, if we had fun playing out in the backyard yeah. back Such in the difference. day. It was relational. There was, there's never <laughs> been any rules for, for making a, fam- a successful family or parenting. And now they've changed whatever rules there were. They've changed them again. It's all good. You know what I mean? It's all right. different. Yeah. Right. I don't want us to lose. Uh, uh, we're going to hit up hit, hit our time here in a minute. Yeah. But a lot of people in town know you, Doc, from your singing. Yeah. You are a gifted, remarkable singer. We're going to play one of your uh, Sinatra covers here in a minute. And you just mentioned that your a lot of your children have uh, obviously have inherited that you know your 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 musicianship. How did that start? And tell me about the singing career. Well, it was weird. Uh, you know, the singing started for me at a very young age. I was a very alone type child. I was was very quiet, you know, and very. Uh, just into my world and my shell. I would literally go into my mom's living room, which was perfectly decked, all white. The sofa was white. The the, the uh, stereo deck was, I mean, the, the cabinet for the stereo was white. And in the old 78 records, I'd play those records of Sinatra over and over again, just sang them over and over. It just got me, I just love that big band sound. I still do, do to right. today. I mean, if I hear that, Sound it just gets me emotional. I'm just listening to all these instruments, and it's they're just so much beautiful sound. So I got into it really a lot. When Are I was, you professionally trained? Uh, no, trained? I've never had, because your pitch is perfect. I've never had any lessons. I, it's just I have to say I was trained by Sinatra, wow. but, but by distance because I just listened to those records and just love singing to them, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I got into that, and then I did do some club singing, you know, at a younger age, and then. You know, it got away from me, I, and then I came. I, I started singing worship, you know, at church, and I wrote songs, and I've got albums out. They're on, you know, iTunes mm-hmm. and all that. And then I thought, you know, I ought to do a Sinatra tune. And when I got into the studio, the guys couldn't believe it. They said, "This is your gift. This is the area you should be singing in." Because yeah. I was singing rock and roll type stuff, uh, you know. 
and and it's I, to them is I I sing better in Sinatra than I do that rock and roll stuff. I I think that's what they were saying. But anyway, anybody can be the judge. But I I really do love singing Sinatra more than anything. It just gets me emotional, man. It it, just... It's great stuff. As a matter of fact, let's take a a break here, Jr. And let's play one of one of the covers that I was listening to earlier today. And this is Doc doing Sinatra. The song is. I believe, what is it? I don't know. Yeah, Fly Me to the Moon. Oh, Fly Me to the Moon. Fly Me to the Moon. Okay, (laughs) we'll, we'll, we'll go right to it here. Fly me to the moon Let me swing among the stars Let me see what spring is like On Jupiter and Mars In other words... Hold my hand In other words Darling, kiss me Fill my heart with song And let me sing forevermore You are all I long for All I care for In other words, please be true. In other words, I love you. Awesome, Doc. <laughs> Thanks so much. Seriously. <laughs> I mean, I listen to that thing, and this guy could make a living at that. I know? love singing. I just, I'm so busy, though, that uh, when I do a gig, it's really uh, kind of an imposition. I have to practice and get ready for it and you know, get my stuff together. But, uh, yeah, I, I still do gigs every now and then. But, yeah. Well, yeah. Doc Victor, it's been great having you on. I want to wrap this up by one of the reasons, again, I'll repeat this, why I wanted to have you on is... Uh, I've been afforded this opportunity to talk to people about town, and I wanted to make room for people like you, people who I consider remarkable people in this community who maybe fly under the radar for some people, uh, but are just as important in the ways that you work quietly, and you do it through, uh, through your ministry, through Summit Bible College, through your parenting, through your good work in the community, through everything you've done. So I want to thank you for that. And I'm also, again, so impressed 
with your family. Thanks, the, Richard. These incredible children. Ben, who is a, a sculptor who you who told us is going to be doing a big roadrunner yeah. and did the oil field, the oil man uh, uh, sculpture in Taft, yeah. right? T- t- run down all your children. You have Sela, the... the okay, sh- we start with Simeon is the oldest. He okay. is the engineer that helped put in the uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles that's on the island of Kauai. He's the, actually the head fellow on that project. Okay. Was, he's got Simeon? Get, Simeon is his name. Okay. Yeah, he's an electrician, right. and uh, he's quite a fellow. He works on these huge projects. He's working on something right now. They're d- different things like government projects, you know. Mm-hmm. And then a uh, second son is Zachariah, who's a, 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 he's a concert pianist, and he does computer work. And then we have Benjamin, who's the artist. You know about it. Then uh-huh. Sayla was born next. Sayla's in Hollywood. She is Chloe on... Uh, the program is uh, Miraculous Ladybug is the name of it, and she's like an international star on that. She actually goes to conventions. She's the voice of Chloe. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, okay. It, it, so if, if you uh, are into that, she does other things too. She's right. got a following on, on other productions that she's She's made movies and things like that. And then after her is Nathaniel, who is a businessman in Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky. And then after Nathaniel, we have Miriam, who's uh, in Hawaii, lives near Simeon in Kauai, but she's going to go to law school soon. She's in her 30s, and she's starting up law school soon. She's a very good law-type person, too. Yeah. She's graduated. She's got her bachelor's degree, and she's ready to go for that. But then the last two is Gideon. Gideon is a businessman also. He's in Texas. And then the last one is Ezekiel. Ezekiel is the jazz pianist that people know here in town. He's also... Uh, uh, he does that computer type programming things like that you know he does ai i don't know if you know how AI. proud are you and joyce of uh, the, the these kids and yes. making it through because we, we all proud. any any parent will tell you it ain't easy you know and yeah. a lot of it's luck a lot of it's faith and a lot of it is just persistence isn't it yes i have to say this too to balance it out they're normal kids we try to raise them normal instead of the gifted classes so much they a lot of times they were thrown into gifted classes, but we didn't like them that much because we wanted them to be more on the normal side. And uh, they weren't normal intelligence. But the only reason I can credit anything is it has to be a God thing. I was a flake when I was younger. I was, uh, I don't know how to say it, but I was a party guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I did the basketball and it was all about me. Yeah. Right. And then I realized when everything hit the wall, it slammed it. So I didn't even deserve these kids, really. You know, it was right. a humbling thing. And even the kids, they're not perfect, you know what I mean? And I'm not trying to make them perfect right, like right. that. They are gifted, like you're saying, Richard, right. and they, there are issues that have come up over the years, sure. you know, and challenges, you know, and even today I pray for them so much because they're, there's only so much you can do, you know, as a parent. They, right. they, they have to uh, learn Doing things on themselves. their own. Yeah, yeah, they have to be themselves. They have to learn on their own. And so right. you can't take too much of the pressure on yourself if you're an adult. It's not what you did right or wrong in the long run. I mean, I wish I would have done more things right when I look back. Yeah. But but I wasn't perfect either. I was learning and trying to grow through my right. life, you know. Right. And so I look at them now and I just say, God, help them. I, I love them and I'm there for them if I can be there for them. But it's a challenge. Yeah. You know, today's society, like you, the things you read off in the beginning have affected my kids like everyone else's yeah. kids. I mean, it's and a it crazy world. And it saddens you, you yeah. know, a little bit because you want them to uh, be successful and be positive and not get 
carried about by every wind and every doctor and every everybody saying this and saying that. Yeah. I, I have a real balanced approach toward everything. I'm not against anybody, but on the other thing, I want to help. <laughs> I want to yeah. help society. I want to help people. You know. Right. Right. And so. All right. Well, congratulations and thank you for so coming much, on, Doc Victor. It's been terrific having you on. I hope you guys enjoyed this. And if somebody's interested in buying some of your music, where would they find it? They can find it on any outlet, I, mm-hmm. iTunes, any any of the Amazon. It's on there. I've got four albums that are out there right now. I'm going to load. I took a lot of them off. I had five albums. I reproduced some of them. Mm-hmm. A couple of Sinatra ones. I wanted to make them a little bit oh, better. Okay. I have one on there that Sinatra though that they'll like a lot. It's called You and Me. It's a. I I just. Oh, I had so much fun making that. It was great. Okay. Terrific. And I've had a lot of friends. That's an album? Yes. You and Me. Yeah. I'll look that you up. You and Me. Da-da-da-da. That's, that's the main song anyway. I love it. Doc yeah. Victor, thank you for coming on, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Richard. I, I love you, man. You, uh, it's been great hey, by fun. the way, I mistakenly took you off of Friends by one day. I, I want to be friends with on you Facebook? on Facebook. Yes. I can't do it anymore because I blocked you by mistake. Oh, I've never done I have that to reach life. out to you. You have to reach out to me. JR, should I reach out to him? Yes, I'll please. give him another chance. I yeah. want to be a friend. <laughs> I, 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 I accidentally did that. It's thank crazy. you, sir. Appreciate All right. it. All right, thank thank you. you. Thank you for listening to Bakersfield Observe, the podcast with Richard Bean. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Centric Healthcare and King Door Company.